0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Mignot, CEO of the Experience Agency, D-Flash. Each week, I bring on a different leader who's doing cool things and game-changing work. And this is a series of special episodes with Podcast Row and the GLOW Podcast Network. And I am super excited to have Dr. Rosina Bakari, who's an author, scholar, poet, and a general, amazing woman. And we're going to have a great conversation about how she's built her incredible career and helping... Um, survivor, um, victims of abuse be able to find, to find their voice. It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hello, Rosina. Nice to see you. Thank you. Good morning. I'm really grateful to be here. Uh, I'm super excited about our conversation. I think it's going to be a great one. Um, as I was saying to you before, I always ask the same question, and I'm always fascinated by the responses that people give, and I'm sure yours will be no different so rosina what was your first job
1: my first job out of college was an addictions counselor i earned my master's degree at the age of 22
0: because of course
1: (laughs) not really clear about what i wanted to do and this is back back in in the 80s believe it or not and so my first job was as an addictions counselor so in drug and alcohol rehab center and that was a really tough job for a 22-year-old who That's had funny. so much optimism about the world. Like, this <laughs> right. <laughs> right, and I... um and when you're going through counseling programs, like they make you believe that you can actually help and change people and the world is going to be a better place because you're, you're gonna, in it. Right, you're doing the right, good stuff. That's right. And you're like, so, nope. Hashtag right. no. <laughs> so that was my first job. I burnt out uh, in an average of three is average is three years. That's how long I lasted in the field. Three years. And it's like there's got to be something more hopeful than this. Yeah, a so, little
0: touch, a ray of sunshine. Yes. <laughs> All right, so you get, so you have the counseling job. You did it for three years. You're like,
1: I am not doing that anymore. Um, what leads you to your career today? So I uh, tried a, a few things. Eventually, I, I left the field of psychology, and I tried sales, completely flopped at that, and then eventually ended up back in a field of counseling at a university, at the State University of New York at at Oswego. Uh, at, yeah, at Oswego, and that's where I met my husband. And so, and I loved that job. It was a wonderful job because I was in upstate New York. I was counseling students who, you know, some days their biggest problem was that they had a little... Um, Tiff with their roommate, and no, that, that was so much they better. They wanted to murder their roommate, right? <laughs> that was that was so much better, and I felt so much more fulfilled helping people figure out their lives and what they wanted to do, and it wasn't so serious. Um, so, I did that for for a little bit, and it didn't. But it didn't take long before my own trauma hit. So it didn't take long. It started out nice and fluffy. Before I knew it. I had not one, not two, but three clients who were dealing with childhood sexual abuse. Remember, this is back in the 80s. The word really has it hasn't existed. Exist we haven't yet. even coined the term yet. Yeah. So at, at the same time, I had three clients that were dealing with issues. Uh, and the only thing I really had to relate to them was my own experience, which, of course, I couldn't reveal to them, Or, but I, I was trying to process that uh, with them. Which of course uh, threw me into my own experience of trauma, and so that began the first part of my journey of where I am today in dealing with this. So, wow. So it's as you were
0: counseling those students, you're like, oh wait a minute, right? (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, And so, and now you have this amazing practice where we were talking about this yesterday. um, You've been able to help. Um, survivors find the words yes and how did you get to be able to do that i I know i i can't even begin to imagine what that's like um but i i just would love to hear how that
1: came to be thank you yes so in 19 in the late 80s when i was counseling and ended up in therapy myself again there this is the uh the late 80s now there's still not a lot of information there's, there's not the, uh, the World Wide Web, you know, you can look up somebody's address as right? <laughs> so there's just not a ton of information. So I went into therapy and, uh, and I did therapy for a little while just to get myself back together, just to pull it back together and be the sunshine of the world that I was supposed to be. And so I didn't stay in therapy long. Uh, uh, my husband went with me, he was my then, we were then dating. He went with me and he, and the, as I talk about in my book, he, the worst thing happened to me. And that was that my husband said, cause I wanted to break up with him. We were dating and I want, I'm like, I can't do this right now. This doesn't even make any sense. Like I'm totally not together. And he said to me, uh, I don't care about, uh, what your issues are, what your pat, what your past is, what kind of healing needs to be done. I love you, and I want you in my life. That was the, the, for the healing journey. That's the worst thing. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. I said, so I packed up all my wounds, I put them back together, and I soaked in this love that this human being had for me, right? Uh, and I never talked about it again. Wow, really? Really? so right <laughs> so it's like wow well, someone loves me like i just have to get myself together and suppress this trauma right so i can the, I, now i get words, <laughs> the
0: words. you're like oh like this is not how they deal with it
1: right so i did that so i went back in my little closet and pulled myself together and so 14 years later having never talked about it again uh the trauma hit uh And this time it was unavoidable. So now there's internet. There's information that I have access to. The world has changed significantly. So this time when I find myself on a floor balled up in fetal position in a uh, post-traumatic stress uh, 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 trigger from having the violator have been invited into my home uh, by my sister, uh, who was married to him and knew of the trauma. So this is the kind of stuff I had been suppressing for years. Like, I had really tidy... Because who wants... I mean, nobody's talking about this. Nobody's addressing this. Yeah, like, it's a, It's supposed to be a
0: nice, neat, and tidy way you live about this. Even things we don't talk about.
1: Right. Especially
0: and, in families, especially the families of exactly. color. It's like, this does not
1: doesn't happen right and I had tidied it up and put a nice beautiful bow on it with degrees and relationships and and fitness and all this stuff and had structured my life just so so that I would not have to deal with this trauma I just needed one thing to happen I just needed space that's it like that was the only little thing I asked for I just needed space a teeny bit of space in the world where I could continue to ma- n- manipulate my own lie. And I couldn't have that. That's <laughs> okay, one, one thing. <laughs> right, right. I couldn't have that. So so when I found out, because she was coming to visit, because, you know, I'm dealing with trauma. I don't want to live at home. I'm never home. So I could you construct a life like that. Yes. You, it, right. And you think it's okay. It's a, yeah. You don't even realize the lies you live in at some point. And so when I realized she had invited him to come visit with, with her, like some like something in me broke, like it just broke. I felt like, oh my god, I've been living my entire life just trying to, trying to make people happy and make it okay and be a good sister, a good mother, a good you know, and and I and there was so little space in the world for me. So as I'm balled up uh, in this fetal position on the floor, uh, uh, really experiencing PTSD. Uh, the voice, the voice said to me, like, you have to live openly in this aha moment that if you have done so much to convince the world that nothing is wrong with you, that you are so perfect, congratulations, this is your reward. No one has to acknowledge it if you don't acknowledge it. If you don't create enough space in your world to acknowledge your own pain, your own challenges, your own struggle, why would anyone else acknowledge it? Why would anyone give you what you're not giving yourself?
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> well, it's kind of like what I was saying yesterday. If you don't talk about what you do and how awesome and amazing you are right. and you say it with conviction and fervor, no one's going to believe you. It's so the same right. thing. If you don't speak up and acknowledge
1: your trauma and and get the help that you need, then nobody right. else is going to know how to help you. Right, right. So that was it. So when I got out of that, the only my only way out of that was to live openly. And so when I uh, got myself together, and I remember crawling back in a in the bed, because uh, I, I my husband couldn't get in the bathroom. He didn't know what was wrong with me. Blah blah. Because blah. Uh, we haven't talked about this in fourteen years.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, right? Just, yeah. So, it's like, so what's going on here? Right. Like, right.
1: <laughs> And so when I got back in a bed, I just said to him, I said, like, I can't live like this anymore. And, uh, and he was like, live like what? Like, is the house too small? Like, like what? And so I just said, like, I have to live openly. So that began the conversation and the, and the process for me. So what I found uh, when I woke up the next day with this conviction that I was no longer going to carry this lie, then it became a process. Well, then what does life look like? and figuring, figuring that out for myself. And so uh, if you're gonna begin to live openly, I was like, oh, well, I don't have language for this. I don't have words for this. Like, how do you have language for something that you swore off ever talking about? So I never even considered literally putting together a sentence that would describe what those experiences were or what they meant for me. So that began the process. Uh, So I went into a lot of research and looking and finding out, found out that not only did I have problems and difficulty with the language, but that at that time there were 40 million adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Like, so wait a minute, there's 40 of us silenced, 40 million of us silenced? Oh my goodness. How do you silence 40 million people? And so that just angered me. <laughs> then as I a, will fix this, <laughs> right? Right. So, so, uh, so I, th- I dug deeper into the research and really found out that a lot of adult survivors were struggling with addiction. A lot had gone to prison. Uh, uh, a lot were there was is a strong correlation between physical violence, uh, domestic violence, and childhood sexual abuse. And so that just did did not sit well with me at all, like as a psychologist or as a researcher or as a survivor myself. And so there was just several iterations of what this experience was going to mean for me. Uh, And so I just started writing. At the time, I've always loved writing, and, and I was already a poet, but I had never written about this, right? And so I started finding ways to use my voice to create words and, uh, and realized that other survivors needed words as well. So even I, even a term living openly, that's a term that I've pretty much created and put on a map. No one was talking about living openly, you know, people are like, what does that mean? It just means that you drop the secret. doesn't mean that you wear a flag or a button or go around, um, shouting out at the rooftops. It just means that you drop the secret and what, and you decide what that looks like for you. Explain it to people, the developmental process of what, what people should have as children. Um, cause sometimes survivors, because we don't have words, all we have is a narrative of the violator inside our heads. And because we never speak it loudly, no one ever challenges it for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes as the survivors started uh, talking about and sharing their narratives, they would say things like, they would ask me questions like, well, what if I liked the abuse? And I would say, well, what did you like? And they'd say, well, you know, there was a tension and I had favors and I felt um, loved and special. I said, do you understand that all children are entitled to that? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so you're not telling me that you, that you, that you um, actually created or, or forced this physical t- contact with someone. You're telling me that you wanted the love that all children are, 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 are entitled to without having to sacrifice themselves as someone's object of physical expression, uh, and but but you've never said those words. No one's ever invited you to say those words out loud. So no one's ever been help been able to help you craft the language around that experience. So those sorts of things were are so important in terms of creating language for adult survivors. And so I've spent a lot of time over the last ten years crafting sort of what it means for survivors to have a voice. It's one thing to say, you should have a voice. It's a whole nother thing to figure out what that voice, voice is.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> and so what's been, you know, because it seems to me especially that in the last, I would say like maybe three to five years, there's been sort of an awakening around living openly uh, with when people have had um, uh, severe trauma as children. What do you think was sort of the change and why it's now become... Um, not ex- I don't want to use the word acceptable, but like there is like the walls have sort of come down in terms of like people acknowledging what's happened to them in the pa- in the past.
1: I think the internet or social media has been huge in this movement, and I'm grateful for it because people do have a place to create a voice. Uh, there's some concerns about how people are creating voices because they're not we haven't gotten to the part where it's healthy (laughs) yeah
0: i think i think i i I almost feel like it's this is a horrible analogy but i'm going to use it anyway it's like trauma porn
1: Yes, it absolutely is. And it, yes.
0: And it almost as if that, that is, that's become the thing where it's like, well, my trauma is worse than your trauma. And you're like, yep. And it's like, no. It's right. like this, like, whatever you have gone through is your own personal story. And it shouldn't be like you're trying to one up someone. Exactly. Um, and to be a part of the to to jump into this conversation because oftentimes you're like Does that really happen? Or right. are you just because you want to be in this conversation, you right. you're putting yourself in it.
1: Can I talk a little bit about Talking Trees, my go, organization? You can go ahead. So so in 2010 uh I started I, the experience of, of um, the PTSD trigger was around two thousand and seven ish. And so I spent the next couple of years trying to figure things out. And 2010 is when I created Talking Trees. And I created it for all of the reasons that we just talked about, uh, to uh, disseminate uh, information, help create language, uh, uh, validate people's experience, that sort of stuff. I started on, on Facebook. I've been writing every day since 2010. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about what, what I think is special and what my vision is for adult survivors and what my vision is for people who want to advocate and help and support adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Just
0: one thing. So, say it again that you have been writing about <laughs> um, the how how victims um, of trauma the, the healing
1: process every day for ten years. Every day published for 10 online years. somewhere. Yes. Ten years. Ten years daily, no matter where I am in the world. Is, do you do you stick to a certain number of words, or is it? Is it a, a line of poetry? What? How do you? What? What is it? So, so in two thousand and ten, I think you were allowed about eighty words or hundred words. Remember? So, <laughs> wow, so that's early right, days. Right. Right. So, early, early days. Yeah. So it's changed a lot. So, so the so you there was a, 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 a restriction on words when I started writing daily on Talking Trees, but. Remember, I said, I did a lot of research and I wanted this to be, although I, and I never, and I've always written from a survivor perspective. So I've never gone on there and said, Hey, I'm a psychologist who want to tell you how to live. No, I've always engaged as a survivor. But what I knew and understood was that the experience of, of adult survivors was so profound and our brains were so uh, impacted by what it did not receive as children. So if I were gonna write once a month or randomly, that wasn't gonna help people. And so I knew that the commitment had to be to feed people daily, to get people to think about this and process daily. No one was living openly back then. And so I knew that my call to action had to be daily. So that was real important. I also knew that I was feeding myself that same information because if I didn't, I was much more likely to, to call up my sister and say, oh, just kidding, come back, you know, or mm-hmm. something like that, Go uh, push myself back toward a dis- the dysfunction if you don't create something else to move forward to. So yeah, every day for the last 10 years, I write a post. Sometimes they're longer, sometimes they're shorter. But what survivors know is that there's someone out there thinking about them and their situation every single day. During a holiday time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, often write twice a day. I'm often, you know, writing to the experience of this year you get to make different decisions about where you spend your holidays. Absolutely, right. You know, and just really trying to be in the lived experiences of survivors yeah for 10 years i've been doing that
0: and so and with talking trees how are you able to sort of connect with the um
1: survivors as well so it's inter so so there's a couple of things that make it really special and effective one is international i stick with uh facebook because at one point, I tried to put take it offline on Facebook and do the whole website thing, and then I realized, oh, and I did, and one third of our constituents are outside of the United States. Oh, wow, and we're up to about seven thousand, and I, I don't have an interest in oh, let's get twenty thousand members because I write every day for a specific group of people who want to engage in the healing process. So one is international, two. It is the only open site. At least it was when I created it in 2010 and maybe a couple of more. And so the whole point is about living openly. So if it's about living openly, we're not here to protect your secret. So my, my intention was to support survivors who are living openly or help them along the, along the journey of dropping their secret and living openly. So anybody can go on, Talking Trees, Survivors, uh, com and get the link to the Facebook page, it's open. And people say, you can't have an open site. And so, yeah, yeah, I can. It it grows slower, but I mo- not only do I write every day, I monitor it fiercely. And so there is not all the junk on there that you will see on many things. And they're original posts. I don't grab somebody else's words. I don't post memes. It's the original work of someone who comes here every day to walk a little bit with you in this journey until you find your own way or until you no longer need that or when you need it. So sometimes people come in, they drop in once a year. I like, oh, I haven't heard from that person a year. Sometimes there are some people who have been uh, reading daily since the beginning, uh, but it is free flowing. My, the whole idea of talking trees is that you, as a survivor, design your own journey. I don't have steps for you to take. There are no 12 steps. There are no do this. There's no confront and it'll all be okay. Forgive and it'll all be okay. Every survivor gets to find their journey. I just want you to know that Talking Trees has your back. There's someone who's watching you, you you in this journey and I can hold your hand and give you some advice, but I can't tell you what the journey is, but I, I can assure you that every single day you will hear from me so you will know that you're not walking this journey alone. Fantastic,
0: and what's been the response over the last ten years?
1: So it's interesting. Last year, I it was the first time I did uh, actually try to do something with the numbers and ask myself, "Is this effective? Like, what are you doing?" So I looked at I looked at our our uh, numbers from a year before the Me Too movement to a year after the Me Too movement. So, um, and what I found was. That within just that 24 month period, there had been uh over two million uh reactions, responses, hits to the Talking Trees post. And I thought that's incredible. For a site that's that's open, that's about living openly, where and people don't come there to tell their stories. People come there to talk about the healing journey. It's not as you say. Uh, the term that you used, you know, uh, a porn shop, like, oh, let let me tell you what happened to me and how horrible my trauma is. And so, we don't do that on Talking Trees. We really engage in what is this healing journey for you today? What do your relationships look like? What does your uh, your your health status look like? Are you making mind body connections? Uh, how are you treating yourself? Are you continuing to be small in the world? Those types of those types of ideals. So we had uh, over two million. In, in 24 months, which means people are not only liking, but they're sharing. Keep in mind that the insights that I get from Facebook do not tell me what happens to the post if someone copies and pastes, which you know people do. Mm-hmm. That's just what they keep track okay. of from Facebook and how it goes out in the world. So I'm excited about that. Not only that, the more fascinating part was that only one, less than 1% attrition less than one percent of people got on facebook and said no this isn't for me i'm leaving oh in that 24 month period that we looked at one percent attrition so not only are people coming but they're staying because they're getting something that matters in their lives so
0: you've really incredibly created a destination for survivors to have a home
1: yes yes phenomenal
0: so question for you what's next now so you're 10 years in Writing every day, written a book, uh, coming to the East Coast. What, what, where do you see, the, where do you see us going next? Obviously, the Me Too movement obviously made a huge impact um, because it it forced a lot of people to sort of confront uh, their their own traumas and see it out in the forefront. Um, but what where do you see this going next?
1: I am hoping to develop a bigger platform. So one of the things that, uh, happened a couple of years ago when I re- released my own book, uh, after eight years, I finally decided to put my own narrative in words. Uh, and so when I did that, it was, the purpose was to get out, to spread the movement out further, uh, because there, there as other people are coming in to support survivors and, I hope that they do that well. I feel like it's time for me to move myself further out and create a bigger voice. And now, what I've been doing is asking for listeners. So I've spent ten years helping survivors sort of craft their voice, and now I'm going to people and going, "Who's listening? Are you listening? Doctors, are you listening when survivors come into your office? You know, psychologists, counselors, therapists, teachers, uh, attorney, are you listening? Can you can you have kinder words? Can you? Can your ears perk up to notice or listen for, oh, this person may be a survivor. Maybe I should give them more information. Maybe I should ask more questions. So I'm now sort of spreading the message now that I'm saying people are talking, but it it doesn't work until we get listeners. So I'm trying to bring listeners into the fold so that when survivors begin to speak, we don't begin to get questions like, well, why didn't you leave? Or what did you do? What would you know? 'cause that will not be helpful. So the journey, healing journey works when there's a, when there's a when there's a voice and a listener. So it sounds like you need um listeners with empathy. Yes. So
0: you do the most incredible work and I'm honored that you have been on my show. I have a question for you though. Um what does Rosina do for her own self care? So is it you go for a run, you meditate, you do yoga, you watch Trashy Housewives on TV. What's the thing, because I imagine it's still very heavy, yes. what, you ha- what you do, and I'm, I know that your journey is not an easy one. So right. how, do you, how, do, how do you have some time for yourself? I am
1: the queen of self-care. <laughs> fantastic i am the Share queen of <laughs> self-care i love taking care of myself i have to uh and and i will say this keep in mind that remember i'm the person that thought perfection would would, would keep me from trauma anyway right so so it wasn't a hard leap for me but i i just believe in the uh, the mind body connection is so critical and so important. So I'm very connected to making sure that my body is okay. I do do yoga, I do hot yoga. I do hot yoga at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, (laughs) I will run at five o'clock in the morning uh, because that's so important. I think especially when a body has been violated, there are so many unconscious ways that we can disconnect from the body, from what we eat to what we do, uh, to the way that we engage in intimacy. And I am so cautious and careful not to fall prey uh, to those enticements to just detach, right? It's cause, and it can happen. Even if you've been taking care of yourself for five years, something happens, a trigger happens before you know you're know it, you're no longer connected to your body. So I'm really, I make it a habit of staying consciously connected to my body and really do my self-care. So yeah, the gym, the reading, all of, all of that. Okay, phenomenal.
0: I, I, I was with you on the hot yoga because I love hot yoga. I would never do it at six o'clock in the morning because no, much less running at five in the morning. I'm not a morning person. <sighs> um, but I think you know it's it's lovely to hear that that's that you are the queen of self care because you know I think you also put, show that like yes you can be in this sort of heavy world on a daily basis and providing support for others, but you you know this is most importantly you have to put yourself first. Thank you. And so that's that's wonderful to hear. So, Rosina, it has been an absolute pleasure. I like said, I was honored to have you on this show. I think your message will go to help so many people because I think – you know, we've gotten to a point now where I think a lot more people are understanding it's okay to talk about this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and that's that's key. And I think you know the le- the fact that you've been doing this for ten years every single day is phenomenal. So we'll put all the information about talking trees on our website, and I'll links to your book, um, so people connect with you and just continue to share your message. Um, but thank you so
1: very thank much. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Uh, and that's our show.